yoga that really resonates with me. It's called avidya. Avidya is a Sanskrit term that represents ignorance, misunderstandings, or incorrect knowledge. This ignorance can serve as a film over your eyes that blurs perspective and clouds your judgment. As I researched and wrote my book, A to Z of Detoxing, I often thought of Avidya as I learned about lifelong misunderstandings I had about how to be healthy and what things are safe. My experience with gaining awareness has included suffering and other difficult feelings. However, I'm so grateful for the rewards of becoming more informed, which include enlightenment, wisdom, and empowerment. I now have better information and therefore more power to craft a better present and future. Along my journey for practical non-toxic living, yoga has been central in grounding me in peace, security, trust, love, happiness, and gratitude. While my path is unique, so is yours. We each have our unique struggles for enlightenment. And however your journey manifests, I hope this podcast serves as extended arms that invite you into a unifying space that is grounding. Hello and welcome. I'm Sophia Ruan Goucher, author of the book, A to Z of Detoxing, The Ultimate Guide to Reducing Our Toxic Exposures host of the Practical Non-Toxic Living Podcast, where I sit down with everyone from beekeepers to teachers, chefs to doctors, and all of the mothers, fathers, and children in between. Collectively, we'll learn tips and tricks for practical, non-toxic living. I look forward to sharing my humbling and never-ending journey with all of you. Heather Lilliston is one of my favorite yoga teachers for a number of reasons. In addition to leading an asana or physical practice that feels wonderful for my body, her spiritual path has also opened my mind, heart, and soul to new ideas that have helped me. Originally from Northern California, I met Heather in New York City, where she lived for many years. She now lives in Southern California. Through her company, Yoga for Bad People, which Heather co-founded, Heather and her co-founder lead gorgeous yoga retreats around the world to places like Cuba, Mexico, Uruguay, upstate New York, and Montana. After listening, you'll see why being bad is so important in feeling good. And remember that you can find podcast show notes as well as additional information on my blog at nontoxicliving.tips. That's www.nontoxicliving.tips. Take a listen. I think a lot of people think, oh, it's like girls gone wild slash yoga, or (laughs) it's like take a tequila (laughs) shot and do a headstand. And, you know, it's not to say that tequila won't be enjoyed on a retreat. There's something really amazing about leaving the bad up to the imagination and because the word bad is mm-hmm. means a lot of different things and and you know one thing I was into a couple years ago is like well bad refers to like a, a rebel you know someone who breaks the rules who colors outside the lines mm-hmm. I've always been a little rebellious I've never been a I've never bent to authority really um and I 
but the, but the yoga practice is rebellious. It is rebelling against your habits. It's rebelling Mm -hmm. against your negative tendencies. It's, you know, rebelling against the part of you that wants to blame and gossip and point fingers and, and, and it's taking responsibility, which is for, for, for your perceptions and your world. And that is, that takes a warrior that takes a rebel. It takes a rebel to uproot, you know, and forgive. It takes a rebel to forgive. And that is also, you know, it takes a, it, it, you have to rebel against your obsession with comfort Mm -hmm. to progress in yoga. And, um, you know, so yoga is this great rebellion at the, at the kind of almost against the human stupidity while it returns you to the innate harmony with nature and each other. And so I don't know, this word bad is like, I just, I love it. And I love leaving mm-hmm. it up for the imagination. That's fascinating. <laughs> I mean, I never thought of yoga as being rebellious, but you're right. It very much goes against what is the natural flow of the world, which is divisive and judgmental and scared and, and all these things that separate us. And mm-hmm. yoga is a, a tool, a set of tools in the hard practice of unifying which does lead us to be more connected with each other, with nature, but it's hard work. And it's interesting that that is, it's unnatural and that it doesn't come easily. Heather's life and career is quite delightful to witness. Through her Instagram account, you'll see stunning photos of Heather in exotic places around the world, and her career is inspiring for many. Not only is she a life-enhancing yoga teacher, but the company she co-founded, Yoga for Bad People, has partnered with the very chic Edition Hotels to bring yoga to its hotel residents. Quite a pioneering effort. In the conversation that you're about to listen to, Heather talks about suffering with great familiarity and study, like she has with me in many private moments. It has been striking to listen to Heather talk about suffering because Heather embodies sunshine and happiness. She glows with love, kindness, and beauty. And even though she's obviously beautiful, her inner beauty beams like the rays of the sun. I follow, I follow, I see your updates online and I think, oh my God, what a life. (laughs) I think everybody thinks that. um, (laughs) And is that, is that, is that like reflective of what your life is? I mean, were you, oh no, you're going to Jamaica soon and I don't know, it sounds like a really amazing adventurous (laughs) life. It really is. I mean, listen, like everything, you know, it has its ups, it has its, its downs. Um, but I will, I will say for me right now, it's absolutely right. And, and so that's always a good feeling. You know, I think that that what is right, it takes a different form for every person. And there's a side of me that knows that it's not forever because it's, taxing to like never be anywhere in one really for any period of time. But it's also, um, in a weird way, I was sort of made for this. And so I'm, it's, um, 
I'm able to really, you know, do it. And that feels good. For those who suffer and feel alone and that they somehow deserve their pain, I share the following conversation with you as a reminder that no one's life is perfect. We each have our own bag of challenges, and we are each in this human experience together. You are not alone. Every yoga teacher is a pretty serious student. And so you're, you're a very advanced student. I was wondering, does that make you happier and more peaceful, more content than most people? Or do you feel like you still have all the same hard work to go through because you have your lessons? Mm. Like um, I was wondering, like, what can someone expect yoga to do for them? Mm. Um, you know, is it to get to a place where they're zen with everything that life throws at them mm-hmm. or no? This is a great question. It's been asked before to people who are way, you know, more advanced than me, you know, like people have asked the Dalai Lama, like, are you happy? Are you enlightened? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just like I'm simple, you know. Like I'm, he's like oh, I'm just the same as ever, you know. Like I'm just simple, and it's not an acceptance of your humanity, but um, and it's it's not a it's it's not actually necessarily relief from your humanity, you know. No, like you, you no, no, like anger doesn't end, jealousy doesn't end, you know, insecurity doesn't end. Like, you know, there's this desire in us to find the answer, to find the solution that to get out of suffering forever. And listen, like, you know, okay. And far down the line of enlightenment, supposedly you can end suffering forever. But what does that actually mean? Because what it, what it shows, what, what my understanding is, is that there's an unraveling of one, what is our definition of suffering? What do we see as the cause of suffering? What is, what is it inside of us that decides that we are suffering? Who is the I that is suffering? What, you know, is, is, is the I actually suffering? Um, like there's all these things to break down as you're going through your yoga practice. And I think at the end of the day, um, I mean, I'm definitely not over all the human neurotic tendencies of life. And I feel all the feelings that I felt before the tool is that, um, I'm not, it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't hold me in the same way that it held me before. Like there's tools to create space around it. So, so the voice is there, but it's, it's, it's almost like when you're in the, in a room with a mother of which you'll relate to this, um, and their kid is having a tantrum (laughs) and, and they're not thrown off. You know, yeah. because they their kid has had tantrums and you yeah. sort of know the trajectory and you know it will pass. And the kid is like freaking out, but the parent holds the space. Yeah. And and that's you 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 kind of find that part in your mind that can 
that can hold the space for the human experience to pass through you. And sometimes it is all engulfing and you still get full of rage and frustration and, and you gossip and you blame and you, you know, point fingers and you cry and you hate yourself and you compare yourself and you're self-deprecating and all the horrible things that we do to ourselves. But, you know, that just develops your compassion for other humans. And like, that's something I learned in yoga. Like, and if I can, it's just about remembering it, which is why you have to do the daily practice and why you're never done. And I think it's, I think it's, you know, it's, it's changing our definition of who am I and what is suffering and, um, and, and, and you, you're taking, it's like taking down the, the need for an answer and a solution to everything and instead being with everything. And that's one thing that I really hope that people understand is that yoga is not about just being happy and having a calm mind. So many people think are intimidated actually by yoga because they're not flexible. They can't get their mind to be quiet. They're not, you know, they're not healthy. They're not interested in being healthy. And I'm like, uh, all of that is kind of actually irrelevant. Like, you know, yeah. the, 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 I know so many violent, angry, vegan, you know, <laughs> people that meditate 17 hours a day. And it's just like, let's like, we're all sitting in the same mud. Mm-hmm. And we're just, and the, and the mud is the fact that we're human. And, and you know what, frankly, I'm not even actually interested in it ending um, because I want to be integrated in the world, in, in the beauty. And like, you know, Pema Chodron, one of my favorite things that she talks about is um, pain is not a punishment. Happiness is not a reward. The, the warrior, she talks about the warrior, the warrior can keep one, like, you know, one part of their mind in the pain and suffering of the world, which is the mental chatter and the disappointment and the grief and the, just the, oh, you know, and then at the same time, remember the great vision of the Eastern sun. And when you can hold both, Mm. she says you can make a proper cup of tea and it's, and, and I think that that is, I, I really hope that people don't get obsessed with just the great Eastern sun, you know, like staying in space that I don't know the inquiry, the question, like if you can learn to be there, mm-hmm. I think that, I think that you have the tool mm-hmm. to be free. Yeah. Yeah. And that is the goal. Yeah. I, your your suggestion of wondering what is suffering really resonated with me because I know that I've worked really hard to let go of beliefs and perspectives and thoughts that were restrictive. And now that I've been letting them go, I feel a sense of groundlessness and more uncertainty and I realize okay I just need to now the goal is just to be really integrated with the uncertainty of where I'm going to land how it's going to work out it kind of doesn't matter (laughs) and it's it's not suffering but it's uncomfortable totally Yeah. Well, in, in the Buddhist tradition that I studied, there was all, you know, there was 
Buddhist traditions are so incredible because they really, there's like, um, you know, there's like, well, these are the four sufferings and these are the six pleasantries and these are the, you know, and, um, and there was a, I'm not remembering it exactly off the top of my head, but you know, they define like, Oh, these are the four sufferings, for example. And it's like, you know, physical suffering, emotional suffering, mental suffering, spiritual suffering. Okay. So maybe there's five. And then there's like this all pervasive suffering. And that's that little, you know, that's, that's the thing when things are happy, you know, they're going to end. And there's like that little, like, yeah, fear. There's that, you know, it's, it's, you, you don't know what's coming. And that wisdom that we have inside that everything's going to change, that things are out of our control, that, you know, things could shift in a moment that's scary to us. And that's, um, that's a, it's called all pervasive suffering. And I think, you know, for many of us, like at least in the West, you know, we have, I mean, it's not, I mean, there's, we've experienced physical pain. We've experienced emotional pain, mental pain, spiritual pain. Um, but underneath, like on a day-to-day basis, I would say 90% of my pain is all pervasive suffering. It's like that little, mm. you know, cause my survival needs are met. I have a roof over my head. I have clothes. I have food. I have friends. I have community, you know, I have mm-hmm. creativity and, and stimulation and, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not driving down the street worried that a bomb is going to fall onto my head. Like I live in a pretty safe place. And, um, so those things are not causing my suffering, but there's this all pervasive suffering. And when we can get to a place where we're getting to the underlying, that all pervasive thing, it's, this is where we really have to push ourselves, um, because it can be very dangerous and we can get comfortable. And they talk about this in meditation, like there's subtle dullness and there's gross dullness. Mm -hmm. And there's what that is, is actually the dullness of mind, that subtle dullness and gross dullness, like gross dullness is like you ate a pint of ice cream and you sat down to meditate. Mm -hmm. Subtle dullness is like you sit down to meditate and honestly, like your body isn't talking, is, isn't your knees aren't hurting. You're totally comfortable. You're totally focused. And you're just in this kind of blissed out state of blur mm-hmm. and, but you feel amazing, but it's a dullness. Mm-hmm. It's not a razor sharp concentration. It's not taking you to real meditation. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, that's all pervasive suffering. We have to pierce through that. And, um, and that's hard because it's been my experience that the only thing that gets you on the mat is suffering. Mm. And the only thing, you know, that pushes you on the cushion and makes you push yourself and makes you go and makes you do your mantras and makes you do your meditation for longer than you want. And every day Mm -hmm. is suffering. And that, you know, listen, my, I feel like the twenties are really full of lots of weird feelings. And that's when I did such strong spiritual practice. And it was the suffering of being in my twenties, being heartbroken, being broke, being lost, being like, Oh, what's not right in my, you know, Mm -hmm. world is, you know, was pushed me on the mat Mm -hmm. and pushed me on the cushion Mm -hmm. and comfort 
like I'm more confident now. I'm in my thirties. I'm feeling pretty good. Like life is good. You know, that is very dangerous. I'm in a very dangerous place. <laughs> Why? Cause you can fall. Cause, it, Cause yeah, because I could, you know, I could fall. I, you need the renunciation. You need, you know, you need the, you need to keep, don't let, don't let the rewards of spiritual practice blind you Mm. from your spiritual practice. Do you think there's a natural ebb and flow that if you are reveling in the rewards of your spiritual practice, something will happen to bring you back down? Because is there a Um, natural ebb and flow that's just part of growing? A hundred percent, a hundred percent, hundred percent, you know, and we can smell it, you know, you can smell it coming and that's, that's that little E. (laughs) But then do you think being mindful of it, do you think it, um, it decreases the volatility so that the highs are not as high and the lows are not as low and you're more stable? I mean, absolutely. You know, it's like, the first time you're disappointed in life, you know, you have a breakup, mm-hmm. you get fired from a job or, you know, something, something major happens, you know, some, you know, crash your car or something. And in the, the first time it happens, it's like, really, you don't know how to deal with it. I remember in high school breaking up with my high school boyfriend and I wanted to kill myself. Like, I mean, not really, <laughs> but you know, it was like the, that's, it was so dramatic. And it doesn't mean that you don't feel pain when you go through a breakup, but you, you starting to get a different kind of wisdom where you, you can see a wider perspective, you know, eventually you'll get over it, but it doesn't negate the feeling in the moment, Yeah. but you can, but you can then the tool is to step out. And yeah. so it's that parental mind. And then even, you know, and in Buddhism, they talk about it to the grandmother mind, like parents are still kind of figuring it out, but the grandparents, they've, they've really been there, done that, seen it all. Mm-hmm. So it's that, it's that state of mind that, that I think is so helpful. That's what we should lean into and lean into and lean into and lean into when we're going through things. I mean, I don't know, you meet yoga people and I kind of want to punch them in the face because they're like, I'm just doing so well and everything's great. Something about that often feels really disingenuous to me and really dishonest and really kind of like you're putting on just another mask of the ego, Mm -hmm. trying to grasp onto an answer. And it's when you meet the Buddha on the road, kill the Buddha. Like, staying in space that I don't know the inquiry, the question, like Mm -hmm. that's, that's, if you can learn to be there, Mm -hmm. I think that, I think that you have the tool Mm -hmm. to be free. Yeah. Yeah. And that is the goal. Yeah. I talked to my dear friend yesterday and she's at, she's in a pivotal point in her life. And, I mean, you know, we just both really reflected and she's in a hard moment. We both really just said like, this is this, this noise, it will eventually become quiet. Yeah. It just will. And, 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 but it's not going to right now. It's really loud right now. And, but you know, in three years, things are going to be very different and, and what, you know, 
like she has basically she has like an ex-husband and they fight now because it's a fresh divorce and it's just like Mm -hmm. I'm like you know in a couple years it's it's not gonna be so loud yeah it'll pass wondering do you feel conflict in being both a yoga uh, teacher slash student and a business person is there a conflict mm, great question well I never studied business <laughs> um, and I've um, learned a lot about business just by doing business <laughs> um, and making mistakes and um, having to, you know, humbly ask people, what did I do wrong? And, um, I, I don't, yeah, you know, this is a, it's a really funny thing because, because there's a feeling around money and spirituality Mm -hmm. and yoga and healing that like, it's like a taboo. And, um, and, and, and I understand why, because there's just something filthy always around money for some reason, you know, there's something just always a little, it's just like, you know, what is that smell in the room, you know? And, um, and, and money is a, it's a healthy exchange of energy, but it, listen, you know, we have, it has this smell and, um, and, and, for me, like, you know, I actually think I probably undervalue myself a lot. I mean, I, you know, um, I'm not, um, it's, it's really hard to value yourself. No, not even just financially, but your time, your this, your that, you know, I think everybody struggles with that. Totally. (laughs) And so when people first, when you first started experiencing reactions of, oh, well, that's expensive per hour. Did you, and I know as a student of yours, I know how much you give, you know, wholeheartedly with all of your being. And so was your reaction to their reaction self-doubt thinking, oh, maybe that's too much? Or was it, no, I'm actually undervaluing myself and this is valuable what I'm offering? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that there were many years of my yoga teaching life where I did not feel like I had anything to give anybody. Mm -hmm. And um, and, and that, that feeling, that self-doubt, that insecurity, that comparison, that feeling like, oh my God, I'm not meditating enough. I don't know the yoga sutras. I'm not how I have no insight to give you. I know nothing about anatomy or the body. I mean, because people are like, oh, you're a yoga teacher. Okay. So I have this like plantar fasciitis in this, like part of in this, like little, and I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. I'm not a doctor, you know? Um, I just like, just like owned a lot and wore white, like, you know, (laughs) answered to Krishna. So like, and did some down dogs. Like, I don't know how to solve your like chronic illness. Um, I mean, I, I feel more confident it's funny because all, there were so many years and I would say it was like at least five to eight years of my teaching that I, I felt pretty much like I have nothing to give. And now 
And in all those times, I was pushing myself to, to, to have something to give, studying, 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 pushing, 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 hating myself, feeling insecure, lost, da, da, da. But what that did was that really made me work hard. And then what I feel like now is I'm totally confident to say, I don't know what, what are you talking about? I don't know how to solve it. You should go talk to a doctor or, mm-hmm. um, that kind of thing. I feel confident in not knowing. Yeah. And, and that, I, you know, that feels good. But in terms of like, yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 you know, I, I've never charged anybody anything without asking people around me that were ahead of me as, um, yoga teachers or in this realm, what, they charged and what I should charge. And, um, so I do have that. I have the community behind me sort of saying, this is the going rate. Um, and I've helped other teachers figure out what their rates are. And, you know, I, I over time learned to say no and learn to value myself and learn to, you know, but sometimes, I mean, I still struggle with it and I agree to doing things and regret it later because I feel like, you know what, I really, I really undervalued what my value is. And the reality is, is it is a very rare moment when someone tells you, you are not valuing yourself enough. You should value yourself more. And it's usually never the person that's paying you. That's going to say that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think, um, I think, uh, you know, I didn't grow up with any money and my family doesn't have that. And I, I never really, I I never really knew how to engage with money in that kind of like abundant Mm -hmm. value way. And, um, and I'm still learning and, but I've learned and Mm -hmm. I'm, and I'm, you know, and then you think about it and then you're just like, yeah, like, I mean, I'm driving all the way there and all the way back and like, okay, well actually this makes sense. And, um, I, you know, I feel that I also feel that when people, you know, for the most part, I am happy to work with people. And there are so many people who like, like if we started at a certain rate, like I don't, I don't raise it, you know, like we just, that's where we started and that's where we'll stay. And, um, and people are generous and people, you know, and, but the money, the business thing, just to get back to sort of that, um, you know, what's hard is in what's hard with yoga and money and business is that you, the business is about personal relationships. At least for me, I really like knowing my students. That's why I teach so many retreats because I get to know my students and it's an incredible intimate experience. And I get to see them learn to meditate and learn a headstand and, um, really experience a part of themselves that it takes a week to drop into out of the context of their lives. It's a really incredible thing. And it's really rewarding for me as a teacher to actually see progression. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, and not only that, uh, it's great to travel, et cetera. Um, but it, it is, it is, you know, in the, because I get to know people, you know, and then there's things where like life comes up and people need to cancel and you have to, hold thing like, you know, your business puts out money and people have to cancel and you can't give them back all their money. And like, um, and, and that becomes a really tricky thing. But I, I feel, I feel like, you know, if you, you have parameters, just like everything in life, there's boundaries and then flexibility and boundaries and flexibility. And as long as you're being realistic, practical, honest, 
you know, um, it's, it, there's some times where you have to hold the line and there's some times where it's right to be flexible. And I think yoga gives you the tools to listen, 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 and hopefully you do the right thing. And if you don't, then, you know, that's life and you can like learn another lesson. And, um, I do feel though that, uh, that I'd like the sort of schism. I mean, most people, that teach at yoga studios make no money mm-hmm. and yoga teachers are undervalued and you make $30 a class, maybe $60 a class and there's no health insurance and there's no retirement fund or I don't even know what all of these things are. Like there's no mm-hmm. yoga union, you know, there's right. no protection and, um, and it's, it's, it's nobody's fault. It's literally just the sickness of what our world values mm-hmm. and what our world values is very unvaluable to me mm-hmm. <laughs> and where there's a lot of big money. It's not there. It, that's not necessarily a place that is healing the planet, human consciousness, bodies, minds, like a lot. I mean, listen, I know that the wellness industry is like, a, like billions of dollars worth billions of dollars now, but, 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 you know, is that just like Lululemon clothes? Is that just, what is that? You know? Right. Um, because, and I don't, I also don't think, you know, yoga teachers need to be like finance billionaires or something. I, I think that, um, I, but, but there is an undervalue thing. And because there, there is like a schism about spirituality and money, mm-hmm. people are afraid of connecting the two. They are. And I ask the question on behalf of anyone who is looking to basically serve people but there isn't necessarily financial security. I mean, most people who decide they want to be a yoga teacher are not doing it to make a lot of money. And and there's a lot of uncertainty as to what their income will be, but they know what their rent will be. And so I was, you know, I was just curious about how you came to a practical place on how to manage um, both your authentic intention of, of serving and giving and sharing and, and also the practical aspects of life like rent and health costs. Um, and, uh, and you're such a great example, such a beautiful example of it can work out beautifully, just fine. You have everything you need. It seems to have evolved and worked out perfectly in a really organic way. Mm. You seem like well, someone I who's just say- followed your heart. You know, you've been very authentic. Um, and it I mean, worked out great. Yeah, it, and it is working out great. Um, and I have a weird thing with money where I just... I mean, I grew up with with both my parents always stressed out about money Mm. and what that created in me. Not only am I like, I am a Leo and Leo's just like nice things and we like to (laughs) eat life alive. But what it created in me was like, uh, you know, when I go to dinner, it's like, you know, my my mother will order very conservatively and I'm like, nope, we're going to, I mean, you know, Mm. we're going to have an abundant, like beautiful meal. I don't even care. 
And that's just sort of my approach. Um, and it's, you know, it's definitely like I could probably take a, pa- a page out of someone's book who's, who's, you know, very sort of calculated and frugal and all of that. Um, but I, I've just always had that sort of my reaction to my parents is just sort of like, no, you can have an abundant, amazing, incredible life. Um, and I, I have made that, but I have also made that because I was, I, I was lucky. I started really young. So when I started teaching yoga, my rent was $600 a month, you know, and I was 20 years old and I didn't need, it didn't matter that I had no money because nobody had money at 20, you know, like you were weird if you did. And, um, and you know, I was still in college. And so I was like living in that kind of like, you know, uh, college money, like, I don't know, life, I think like, I just, um, where, where nobody had money and, and, and so I had a long time to build it. And then also I was in New York city and somehow ended up in the Hamptons. Um, and both of those places, you know, you can make money teaching yoga and you can, um, save money and you're connected to people who have money and, it's, you know, things are possible in that way. However, um, and I have an incredible life. I mean, the life I'm living, the traveling, the, all the thing, but you know, it's, it's sustained, but it's not, I mean, I'm not buying a house. I'm not putting a down payment, you know, like mm-hmm. I'll be totally straightforward about all of that. Um, and so there, there is this instability that oddly, I just have this faith in the world that it's all going to be okay. Um, and I just, just need to keep doing what I'm doing and show up fully authentically and I will be taken care of. And I don't know where that comes from. I don't know why I think that way. And sometimes I'm like, I should be more worried. <laughs> I could, I need an IRA or whatever. What is that? I don't even know what that is. But like, I need, like, what am I doing? What am I doing? And I'm, I'm very responsible. I pay my bills. I'm like, I, I have like, Virgo, like I'm like a, I need that. Well, I is need it because, that, but like maybe because it's maybe it's because you're so good about being in the now. Yeah, I don't know if I'm so good about being <laughs> in the now, but like, you know, I I, I don't know. I, I that's just like my particular makeup of of things, and and I um I just I have faith. I mean, there's a line in the Bhagavad Gita about, and I I'm a com- totally selfish person, and I am not a saint at all. <laughs> but I, um, I mean, I'm fully self-consumed with what I want when I, uh, and all the normal human things, but there's a line in the Bhagavad Gita about like, if you're really serving people, mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about like mm-hmm. how you're, you know, where your next meal is coming from, or mm-hmm. you will be like, the world will take care of you. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like, I'm very lucky because at a young age, I found what I was supposed to do without knowing it. Mm-hmm. And I'm no doubt that this is what I'm, some people are supposed to be, you know, other things. And for sure, I feel no doubt in my mind that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. I did feel doubt for many years, but I don't anymore. And that's, um, and so for that, I feel like, you know, 
it's like listening to the yeses. It's Mm -hmm. just listening to the yeses. Mm -hmm. And there was a time in my life where I was, I was completely ready to hear that yoga was a no. Mm -hmm. And I actually left teaching yoga for eight months and took a job in fashion and went to 39th and 7th and sat at a desk and et cetera, et cetera. And after that eight months, I mean, I kept one class, but I gave away all my private clients. I, you know, I, 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 and I really wanted to be a student again. And I wanted healthcare and I wanted a signature on my email and et cetera. And I got it all. <laughs> I got it all. And I was like, wait, that's, and that was my, that was a good moment of renunciation. And then I never, I've never looked back. But mm-hmm. when I went back to teaching yoga, I remember telling my boyfriend at the time, I was like, and our rent was $600 a month each, I think, or maybe like $750 a month each. (laughs) Um, it was, you know, cheap. And I was, I remember thinking, I remember saying to him, like, I have to go back to teaching yoga. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. But like, I'm going to need you to help me for a little while because Mm -hmm. I don't know how I'm going to do it. And then in the end, he never needed to help me. And I like made it work and it just has worked. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, that could change at any time. And as is everything. I can't imagine you doing anything else but being on the path yes. that you're on. Um, Me neither. So what are you doing now with, I mean, you're doing various things, but I saw that you're working with addition hotels, which it looks so innovative and yeah. wonderful because you can bring yourself and yoga to even more people. I, um, addition is amazing. My dear friend, Ben Pundle, who is just a to die for human being. Um, he does brand marketing for all the additions and he's just done such a fabulous job. And he is a yogi and meditator and believer in magic and all things wonderful. Um, an old soul. So he, you know, he's really what, helped create our vision at addition. And, um, it's been really fun. When we first went to the addition, Caitlin and I walked in and we thought, Oh, this is, I mean, we both have fancy clientele and, but like the general yoga for bad people retreat is we've made it affordable and, you know, someone in their twenties, thirties could afford it. And, you know, we always go to really beautiful, amazing places and nothing is like gross and grungy, but it's not super luxury either. And I, I actually think that's also an important thing. Like, I'm not a big fan of like, oh, because you're doing yoga, like everything needs to be on a silver platter. I think people actually gain confidence from like, you know, not everything is handed to you and you have to kind of like step to the plate a little bit. If you can afford like the most craziest luxury in the world, you'll be happier if you kind of like you know, you don't, you don't have to do that all the time. And we kind of go off the beaten path too. Like we don't go, I love going to Tulum, but we don't do retreats in Tulum. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, so anyways, when we walk into the addition, you know, it's this gorgeous lobby in Miami and this, everything smells amazing. And like the food is over the top. It's Sean George. And it's just so nice. And we were like, okay, we like it here, but it's too fancy for our clientele. And then what we've soon come to realize is 
The addition does this brilliant job of making it really fancy and nice, but totally down to earth. And so every time we've done a retreat there, Mm -hmm. it is just, we haven't left the property. I mean, when I go to Miami now and I stay at the addition and we do these things, I don't leave. Like I don't need to leave and I don't feel, I don't, it's so, I, I just, it feels really nice. So, um, that's a that's an incredible skill that that hotel has has uh, mastered. I think is it's just down to earth enough, but just fancy enough. And I I didn't ex- you know well I expected to feel that way. <laughs> I wasn't familiar with it, but you put it on my radar, so I will definitely check it out. And so you, you and your business partner, Caitlin, started Yoga for Bad People. And, yeah. And Yoga for Bad People, I know you you lead retreats throughout the world. Um, and so how many a year do you do? We've grown. We started in 2012. And it really was just like, it wasn't really like we wanted to start a business. It was just, we wanted to do retreats. We, you know, we wanted to... Um, we wanted to make yoga more inclusive and less exclusive, um, in terms of like, we wanted to, that's what yoga for bad people kind of means. Like, you know, you can be yourself and have a normal life and benefit from yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to be flexible or a vegan or all these things, but you could be flexible and you could be a vegan and all of those things are helpful, but they're not required. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, you know, anyways, but, but it's also our approach is like also not dumbing down yoga, like, Mm -hmm. which is a, which is a a distinction because there's a lot of Mm -hmm. hip hop yoga and stuff and, and, and all that's fun. And we play hip hop in our classes, but, but that doesn't have to mean that you throw out the teachings. (laughs) So anyhow, um, we started with like two retreats and called one of them yoga for bad people because it was to Brazil. And that's how that started. And then now, I mean, last year I did 15 retreats and maybe 12 of them were yoga for bad people retreats. And three of them were collaborations with someone else. Wow. Yeah, we, we do retreats. That's our main thing. And, but yoga for bad people is more than that too. I'd say it's really like an approach. And I've been thinking a lot about what, you know, now we, we, we sort of started doing these fun retreats that were a lot of yoga and also a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And the, and I've been thinking, you know, I mean, everybody does retreats now, but it's, um, like, what is the distinguishing factor of like, like what makes it a yoga for bad people retreat? And I'd say this, this week is my answer yeah. is, um, is that it's a combination of really solid yoga with teachers who have been teaching for a long time and studying for a long time, who aren't dumbing down the practice, who are still students and still studying, who really care about it, um, mixed with people people. So we, what, what is really key on a retreat is that the teachers want to hang out with the students. The Mm -hmm. teachers want to talk at brunch and it's not because we want to say, hi, we're the yoga teacher and tell me about your problems. But it's, you know, and I, cause I have the answer. Let's talk about it at brunch or on the beach. It's, it's, I'm a human, you're a human. Like 
I know I can teach you a lot of yoga because guess what? I've been studying it longer than you. So yeah, there's that. And then we're going to sit as real people and like delve into like all of our questions about life. And I am not above you and you are not below me. And like, we are together equally at the table. So, so much of the, the retreat is like the brunch, the beach time, the experience of traveling together and all of that allows yoga for bad people to, to like sort of take yoga off the mat and like into all these other scenarios and, um, in this really natural and fun way. And it's really important for uh, to us that people have fun. Like I just, mm-hmm. people aren't having as much fun as they could be having. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And it's like, I just want to return, like, let's dance, let's scream, let's yell. Let's like, yeah, like, like enjoy a day at the beach. Like you're allowed to, you know, we are so hard on ourselves and uh, more fun needs to be had. Thanks for tuning in. Join me on my journey for practical non-toxic living. Register to enter my detox community at www.nontoxicliving.tips where you can find podcast show notes, links, and additional free information about practical non-toxic living. That's www.nontoxicliving.tips. Until next time.